Well, good morning. Good to see you this morning. Let's stand to our feet as we begin to worship together and speak together about the love of God. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty man bowed down with care, God gave his son to men. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin.
this morning that our God saves. Amen. Amen. So glad that he looked beyond my fault and he saw my need for a Savior. Praise the Lord for his salvation. And we come in his name uh, to lift him high this morning. So, so thankful to be here as a church family uh, to worship together. And so we welcome you uh, this morning to our services and we especially welcome our guest. And if you are visiting with us this morning, we invite you to take a care card that's placed in the pew rack in front of you and just take that and fill the information out on that and uh, give that to one of our staff. Uh, we would love to have recollection of your visit. If you don't see one of us after service, you can put that in the boxes on the round tables that are in the foyer of our sanctuary here. But we're indeed glad that you have come uh, to worship with us this morning. Also, if there's a prayer request that you might have, you can put that also on that prayer card, uh, care card, and give that to us as well. Um, but just thankful that you're here this morning to worship with us. A um, few announcements. Uh, first, new members class started this morning. I see a few who uh, attended that. Uh, uh, Kevin did tell me that if you were unable to make this morning for whatever reason, 
Uh, next week, you can, you can catch up, uh, but next week would be the last week that you're able to join that class. But if you have joined the church recently or are thinking about joining the church, uh, this class is for you. So we would love to have your participation in that. Uh, tonight is a very important meeting in here at 5 o'clock. Uh, there will be a, a 2022 mission trip information meeting. And so if you want to find out how you can be involved in our missions efforts in 2022, come to this meeting. Um, many people will be able to go, but some not. But there are other ways that you can be involved, and I'm sure those things will be covered. So you make sure you find your way back here at 5 o'clock uh, this afternoon. Also, um, one of our, our strongest outreach ministries is, is getting ready to kick up our men's basketball league is getting ready to, to start in the 1st of February. Uh, we are signing up now. And so uh, the cost is $10 for this league. It's for 16 and up, guys. And so if you know somebody, uh, that would be a, a target for you to, to, to witness to or whatever. Uh, this is a good way to, to reach out to our community. Uh, we have a great time playing basketball, but our, our main focus is to come under the teaching of the gospel. Uh, that we do uh, week in and week out during the half times of these games. So we'll sign up through the end of January, and our play starts the 1st of February. And if you're saying, well, I don't play basketball, we need older guys to come and help uh, to sort of coach these teams. It's not like you're coaching plays, but you're developing relationships with these guys uh, that otherwise wouldn't darken doors of a church. And so we need you. We'd love to have you come and be a part of that. And if you would like to do something like that, come see me, and we will definitely put you to use. Uh, but sign up for that is at both desks here in the sanctuary and in the core. Um, you continue to do so well in giving to Lottie Moon. We're over $102,000 now. Praise the Lord. And so we're excited about your giving, and so thank you for that. And uh, we'll continue to give to that through the end of this month. Uh, so you are to be applauded and thanked for that. Um, most of you have seen that our, our contribution envelopes have arrived, and so uh, those are on the table in the foyer here. Now, if you're set up to give online, you won't have a box. Uh, you just continue to give online. But otherwise, go by and, and get your box, and uh, uh, those are available today. Um, the intern applications for our internships coming up this summer um, in children's ministry, youth ministry, and college ministries. Um, those applications are online, and those are due by February 1st, along with any references that you might have. So if you know anyone that's interested in that, uh, please let them know of that information as well. Um, today, we need to vote on the committees um, that were um, on display last week on the roundtables. Hopefully, you got a chance to, to look at those committees and, um, and today, we're going to vote on those. And simply, we're just going to vote on those by a show of hands. So if you are in favor of voting for these people to serve on these committees uh, for this upcoming year, would you indicate so by the raising of your hand? Any opposed sign? Likewise. Good, because if you voted no, you just voted yourself to be on a committee. So... <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Let's, let's still our hearts now and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, indeed it is so good to call on your name. 
the one who spoke and it came into being. The one who knows all. The one who sees all. The all-powerful one. Lord, thank you that as the scripture says that when we gaze into the night skies and see the work of your fingers. Yet what is man that you are mindful of him? God, thank you that you are mindful of us. You knew from the very beginning that we needed saving. And you gave to us your only son to appease your wrath so that we might be clothed in his righteousness, that we could have his salvation. And for that, Father, this morning, we are so grateful, and we do fall on our knees and worship you. For you alone, Father, are worthy of our worship and our praise. God, we thank you that we can be in a place like this this morning to lift up and lift high the name of Christ. Lord, we know, though, that there are those that are still hurting from maybe family members being sick or passed on. We ask, God, that you would be ever near and dear to them. Help them to know and feel and sense your presence in a very powerful way. And God, thank you that you promise to be with us and you walk with us through valleys and through trials. God, you've indeed promises that you will never leave nor forsake us, and we thank you for that. So, God, we pray now for every element of this service, the singing, the praying, and the preaching, and the hearing, that all would bring honor and glory to you. That this body of believers, that we would be encouraged and challenged and convicted and saved. And, Father, we pray uh, that you would receive all the glory due your name. We pray this in the matchless, in the mighty and strong name of our Savior. Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans chapter 8 at the end of the chapter, starting in verse 37. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we continue in worship together? Oh 
Tens of thousands of people rallied Sunday to protest last week's coup. The military rounded up the nation's democratically elected leaders. fire on large crowds in several cities. Hundreds were arrested. Despite the growing international condemnation. In the book of Acts and Acts chapter 12, there's a lot of geopolitical things that are happening that everyone would have been talking about, would have been dominating the headlines. And yet, in the background behind all of that, without anyone realizing the kingdom of God was spreading like wildfire all over the known world at that time. We work in an area of Southeast Asia that's experiencing a lot of turmoil and upheaval right now, a lot of anger, a lot of fear. At the same time, we've seen opportunities to share the gospel. People are very hesitant to believe in a God that they can't see. People worship both the spirits and Buddha 
But when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden everyone was afraid and everyone's lives were being changed because of this virus that was unseen. Well, hey, you're scared of something that you can't see. Let me tell you about something that you can't see that will free you from that fear that will give you life. Just outside our city, there's a small village of about 50 people. We got connected to an elderly woman, our national partner, had been sharing the gospel with her. She said, I believe, I'm in. And she has since been just an incredible force that God's used in the last year and a half or two years. We're hearing stories of 30 homes in this village coming to faith and this entire village coming to faith and half of this village coming to faith. God's moving in some pretty exciting ways, but there's still a long way to go. Not knowing what the future holds has been really challenging. Even though there's upheaval and chaos in our region and around the world, we are more confident than we've ever been that this is exactly where we need to be. This is exactly what God has called us to do. In the background, maybe not making the headlines, people's lives will be changed, disciples will be made, and the kingdom of God will spread like wildfire. what Kevin Knight said we are deeply grateful for your gifts to uh, Lottie Moon it's amazing to see what God is doing on some continents around the world uh, pockets where uh, the gospel is really reaching into and massive numbers are coming to faith in Christ particularly on continents like uh, Africa and Asia uh, things are really happening there, and our missionaries as Southern Baptists are deeply involved in that. And so thank you for your support uh, through your giving. And as uh, Kevin also mentioned tonight, we'll be talking about opportunities where you can uh, join other people in our church and go to various areas and work in 2022 on short-term mission trips. And we never know how God might use that short-term trip in somebody's life. They might come back here and then be praying through their own life, their own mission, and uh, discern that God is calling them to a mission field uh, somewhere. We always pray that God will use these short-term trips to stir some people in our congregation that they might commit to missions on a far larger scale. So that'll be tonight in here. I want to ask you right now to find your place and your copy of God's Word in James chapter 4. And we're going to talk this morning about doing the will of God in 2022. <clears throat> doing the will of God in 2022. We'll be in James chapter 4 beginning there in verse 13. Reading down through verse 17. Now if you were to turn back to the very beginning of the book of James. In James 1 and verse 1. James speaks there that he is writing to the Jews in the dispersion. And I'll talk more about that later on in the context of the message but for now, James chapter 4, and as you continue to find you in your, plate, your place and your copy of God's Word, I do want to mention some in our congregation who need our prayers. We want to pray for Liz Tucker's family. We failed to mention her last week. We should have. I apologize for that. 
uh, her dad passed away, and I know, I believe it was a week before last, she was actually going to Tennessee uh, to be a part of the uh, family gathering there. Also, the funeral this coming weekend, the memorial service for Rachel Oxford, the 15-year-old daughter of Ricky and Kimberly, has been postponed. And it's been postponed because... Uh, COVID has broken out in the Oxford family and they all just keep trading it back and forth and, and it's just going around the family circle there and some have just been diagnosed with COVID and, and are quarantining and so Ricky notified me uh, a few days ago and said Scott we're going to need to postpone this coming weekend and uh, look at that some other time. So we're actually looking at a date in February. Stay tuned for that. And this morning we want to remember Pat Norton, Pat and Christy Norton. As many of you know, Debbie fell recently, uh, had a bad breakage and surgery after surgery. A terrible infection set in. It, it sounded to me like possibly, I don't know, but maybe even sepsis set in. But she was getting over that, and then she came down with COVID, and she's just uh, had so many health trials. And as Christy was saying to me on the phone yesterday, uh, Debbie's just really had a lifelong uh, time of health trials and tribulations. And they have moved her now to a section of the hospital where she's simply under comfort care, and they're expecting her passing to be imminent and uh, Pat has been there at the hospital some with Debbie and this will be two daughters that she has lost this month and so please pray for uh, Pat Norton if you would stand for the reading of God's word James chapter 4 <clears throat> beginning in verse 13 James writes, he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity of life that you give us. And then the open doors and opportunities that, that come with just everyday life. And God is your people. I pray that it would be our passion to live day in and day out to do your will. Lord, that we would not live for ourselves, that we would not waste our resources, our time, our energies on things that we desire, but God, that we would live for your purposes. Jesus said we're to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and then everything else will be taken care of in its proper order. 
Lord, I pray that as unbelievers look at our lives, they would see something markedly different in us. That they would see a higher quality of living. That they would see the abundant life that Jesus promised that his arrival in our lives would bring to us. Father, I pray for the message today that you would use it to glorify the name of your son. That we would be drawn closer to him. That our love for him would grow deeper. Our service for him would grow more purposeful. And Lord, we do pray for these in our church family who need your comfort and strength. We pray for that. For the Norton family that's had so much loss. God, come alongside of them through the power of your Holy Spirit in a special way. And undergird them with your strong and mighty hand. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, last week we looked at Romans chapter 12. And we looked specifically at chapter 12 and verse 1. I mentioned verse 2 only in passing. How Paul said in Romans 12 too that we are not to be conformed to this world. But we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now Paul says after presenting your life as a living sacrifice and not conforming to the world. We will be able to test and prove out what the will of God is. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, knowing the Lord's will comes as a result of everything Paul wrote first in verses 1 and 2. The Lord's will is not something that God lays out at the front and then says to us, Here, I offer this so you can look at it and then looking at it, you can decide if you're going to do it or not. The thought is, after you present yourself to God as a living sacrifice and you refuse to conform uh, to the world, when God allows you to understand His will at this point, it's assumed that your mindset is already in the framework, your framework of mind and heart, that you are going to do God's will. Now it's also true that knowing God's will in many areas of life is as simple as reading chapter and verse about it. That pertains to the things that God has told us in plain black and white in his word. Now what what Paul was addressing there in Romans 12 I think was more of the gray areas of of life. How do you discern the, the will of God when you don't have a chapter and verse? And yet whether the will of God is a simple matter or whether it is a gut wrenching matter it is absolutely critical for the believer to do the will of God. And you know, even as believers, we don't always get it right, do we? 
We take missteps. We transgress what the will of God is in our life. We might think it means going in one direction. We go in that direction and then in hindsight we look back and we see how God was probably leading us in this other direction if only we would have sought him out more in the matter. You know, Jesus went even further though. Jesus addressed the professing believer who has no intention whatsoever of doing God's will. Jesus talked about the person who says with his lips, he gives lip service to God, saying, Lord, Lord, but again, he has no intention of following the Lord. He may have even done many good things in his life, but as a way of life, he simply does not care about the will of God. Listen to what Christ said about that in Matthew 7. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now folks, that certainly points out to us the seriousness of doing God's will, does it not? I mean, doing God's will is not something to be dismissive about. Now, does that mean that a true believer who makes missteps in this area of doing the will of God loses their salvation? Absolutely not. That's not what Jesus was talking about at all. It simply means that the one who is truly born again overall in his or her life will have a heart to do God's will. A regenerate heart demonstrates itself by desiring God's will. One's lifestyle in this area, not an occasional stumble, really shows what a person's heart is. Now, as we turn to James chapter 4, we see that James seems to be addressing the wider world here. Now, listen to what one commentator says about this. A gentleman who is actually one of my Greek professors in seminary. He said, most recent commentators realize this indicates that James has zeroed in on issues that lie beyond his initial readers and address concerns present in the surrounding world especially in the Jewish world of the dispersion. The application to his Christian readers comes as preventative medicine that is, he seeks to head off some problems before they even find their way into James's communities of faith. The historical setting, he goes on to say behind chapter 4 verses 13 to 17, lie primarily in Diaspora Judaism. From the time of the Babylonian captivity in the 6th century BC, the Jewish people underwent profound social change. The center of Jewish society shifted from rural to urban and out of the Babylonian years came a traveling merchant class 
of Jews who migrated all over the eastern Mediterranean world to conduct business. Massive settlements developed in the northeastern Mediterranean world and all the way westward into Rome with this deep shift in social patterns that thrust Jews into a sea of Gentilism, many Jews let their religious heritage and values slip or even completely vanish. In the pagan world of Gentilism, they simply lived without active faith or participation at all in their Jewish religion. This was the issue addressed by many late Old Testament prophets and one that James saw could potentially be a problem for Jewish Christians living in the same world dominated now by Gentiles. So James is addressing these Gentiles who have begun to move out all over the world. In fact, there were more Jewish people living out in the Gentile world far away from Israel than there were even living in the Holy Land itself. And that seems to be who James is primarily addressing. And he is telling them that there is a matter that ought to be very important to everybody who names the name of Jesus Christ. And that matter is if God wills. Living according to the will of God. And you know Jesus perfectly demonstrated this matter, did he not? Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was crucified, what was Jesus' prayer to the Father? He said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but if not, your will be done. Living according to the will of God was the passion of Jesus. In fact, Jesus gets to the very end of his earthly life and ministry, and in John 17, when he's praying to the Father, he says, Father, I have fully done your will. I have accomplished that which you gave me to do. Folks, that's how we're to live. We are to live with a passion for God to direct our steps. And again, this is intended here in James chapter 4 to be preventative medicine for many that James is addressing. They were not to allow the attitude that they saw going on out in the world to dominate their own thinking. And so James addresses this matter. I want you to notice with me, first of all, he points out that we must avoid the sin of presumption. He says there in verse 13, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. It, it's like right off, what do you hear? You hear disappointment in James' voice. He says, come now. If you're reading from the NLT, it does a great job here. It says, look here, you who say. It would be like somebody today saying, hey folks, get real, listen up. 
You know, if you ever listen to Charles Stanley preaching, what's one thing that Charles Stanley says over and over again as he's preaching to his audience? Listen up. Now listen, listen, listen. He'll say that over and over again. That's essentially what James is doing right here. He wants them to pay attention to make sure they understand everything he's saying here and they can identify with it and they'll finally come to their senses hopefully. Many things had changed for the Jews. In the Babylonian exile, they had learned the ways of business in Babylon. They had a great deal of freedom during the 70-year exile to, to start and develop businesses. And they had learned this very well from their neighbors. And they had begun, begun to get very good at it themselves. And then when Alexander the Great, the leader of the Greeks, when, when he came to power, his dream was to Hellenize the ancient world. And that word Hellenize simply means he wanted to make the entire world Greek. And so he instituted the Greek language to be a common language and the Greek culture. And what this had the benefit of doing was connecting people all over the place to business. There were many commonalities now. So if you were a businessman or a businesswoman and wherever you traveled, you know, there was a sort of a sense of unity among peoples because of this Hellenization of the world. And a lot of travel had also been expanded during this time. I guess we could say it was sort of like a businessman's dream. Because, hey, all the world was connected. And so many of the Jews, even when they had the opportunity to go back to Israel after the exile, they had not done that. They had stayed out in the world. And they had moved to many of the big cities of the world. And they became very well known for their sense of business. They brought business and commerce with them. They had a reputation for that. Folks, that's the type of people James is talking to. They were professionals. They were merchants. And now if you would have asked them, do you believe in God? They would have said, absolutely. Why are you even asking me that? But I want you to notice the problem. They're planning the scope of their lives and they're being presumptuous about it. And I want you to notice their presumption. They thought that they knew when they were going. They're saying today or tomorrow we're going to leave. And they thought they knew exactly where they were going to go. We're going to go to such and such city. They seemed to know who they were going to go with they thought they knew how long they would be there we'll be there for a year or so and they thought they knew exactly what all they would be doing we'll be buying and selling and trading and likewise they thought they knew the outcome of it all we're going to make a profit out of all of this they had begun to take charge of their lives as though God didn't even exist they're living now, as one writer suggested, as practical atheists. They would have confessed God, but the problem is you wouldn't have been able to find God anywhere in their life or in their actions. There's certainly no evidence here that they even attempted 
to search out the mind and heart and will of God in anything they were doing. I mean, just look at their arrogant decision. It's like they've got everything all figured out. They've already mapped out in their mind what their life for the next year is going to look like. Their sin is not that they were interested in gain. Folks, God is not against honest profit. Their sin is not in the fact that they had planned. You know, if you read the Bible in many places, such as the book of Proverbs, it endorses planning. We ought to plan for our future. Jesus even told us that we need to plan out our discipleship. We need to count the cost of following him. We encourage young people to plan their education and what they want to study so they can make a living when they graduate. There's nothing wrong with planning in and of itself. That's not where their sin was. Their sin was that God was nowhere in their plans. They were like people who had come to faith in Christ uh, the way we'd witness today, somebody coming to faith in Christ and it's like they, they have the attitude, okay, now I'm saved. I'm going to put God in a little box over here. And you know, I'm, I'm going to go out and just live my life and do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, however I want to do it, with whoever I want to do it with. I'm just going to live. I'm going to kick it up and live, live according to my own agenda. And then when I face a crisis in my life, I'll run back over here and I'll get this box and I'll open it up and I'll get God out and I'll say God I need your help and God helps and they put God back in the box when the crisis is over they put him back on the shelf and then they go back to living without God that's how a lot of people seem to live their lives and that's not honest faith and verse 13 when he says you who say he, he's, the tense here suggests that this is their lifestyle this is a day-to-day -day neglect. People who are saying that we're going to do this and that. They always live their lives leaving God out. They are planning their lives as though they're omniscient. As though they're invincible. As though they're omnipotent. You know, Jesus told a parable about this, didn't he? He told a parable about a farmer. You'll remember that parable in Luke chapter 12. Here was a guy who had a bumper crop. And you know, the bumper crop kind of made him have to face a crisis. He needed bigger barns. He sat down at his desk. I'm sure he's planning out, you know, I need to expand here and there. I need to build bigger barns. I need to do this and that. And then after I get everything done so I can take care of this great harvest, I'm going to sit back and say, soul, you got it made. Eat, drink, and be merry. And he didn't even know, as, as Jesus pointed out in the parable, God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is going to be required of you he wasn't even going to be around to enjoy what all he had I wonder would people know that we are people of faith if they listened to our talk what about if they watched our lives day in and day out 
If somebody could be a spy and follow you around or follow me around and look at all the decisions we made and what all we do and if they could maybe even somehow or another understand all the motives behind we do what we do, would they, would they see Christ in anything? Hopefully they would see people committed to doing the will of God. Do you subject all of your plans to God? Or do you just make all your decisions based on the bottom line financially? Or maybe based on what somebody wants you to do? You know, a lot of times we plan our lives away, don't we? We make all of these plans and when we finally come around to addressing God, what is our prayer to God then? We say, God, these are all my plans. Will you bless my plans? Instead of letting God help us make the plans in the first place. Young people need to plan their future seeking God. What he might want out of their life. Christians believe that God's created each and every person in the image of God. And is wired a particular way for a life of meaning and purpose. But do we seek the mind of God in this? Or do we just run off and do something because of the money that we can make doing it? Do we seek God when it comes to a life's mate? I had a recent pastor tell me recently, a pastor here in Cabarrus County. He said, Scott, recently, just all together, almost at once, we lost six of our most committed, giving, serving families. They all left at once. He said, with the housing market being what it is in Cabarrus County... He said, they came to me and they told me what they sold their houses for. And each one of these families had made hundreds of thousands of dollars selling their houses. They said, Pastor, you've you've known we've always wanted to move to the beach and retire early. And now because of the housing market around here, we've made all these hundreds of thousands of dollars. We're ready to move to the beach now and retire early. Hey, we're living the American dream. Now, folks, if that's the will of God for them to retire early and move there, well, and good hey I'm happy for him but is that what God's will was for him I can't answer that but what I'm saying is did they seek the mind and heart of God in that matter people today change jobs they change homes they change cities they change spouses they change churches they, they make all of these changes just on a whim Or because of what they want to do. And I think James would ask each one of these persons, have you sought God's heart and mind and will in these matters? Are you just going out and making all these changes and doing all these things and you're never even considering Christ in all of it? That's what James is attacking. He's attacking this idea that you and I can just move ahead with our lives and plan our lives away and God is nowhere to be found in our plans. 
I'm sure many of these Jews that, that James is addressing here, they probably even still go into the temple some because we know early Christians would sometimes continue to even go into the temple and they would say the Shema there, quote the Shema out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. I'm sure they were quoting the Shema Shema continually in their lives. But what they were not doing, they were not living it. They were not living the reality behind the Shema. And that's why James says what he does at the beginning of his letter in chapter 1. He says we're not to simply be hearers of the word only. You know where you hear the word of God or you maybe even read it on your own. You're looking at it or listening to it and it goes in one ear and out the other and it never changes your life. James says we're not to be hearers of the word and not doers. Those who deceive even themselves. Notice another problem here. Notice why it is such folly what what the people James is writing to were doing. And this is really why we can't be guilty of the sin of presumption. I want you to see, secondly, we must account for the uncertainty of life. Verse 2, I mean, uh, verse 14, he says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We don't know the future. We don't know anything about the future. And how doubtful the future can be at times. I mean, folks, just think about this past year. Did everything go according to your plans or how you thought it was going to turn out this past year? I don't know of anybody that this past year turned out to be exactly the way they thought it would be. For that matter, you think of the past two years. I mean, things have not happened at all the way many of us planned. And so James's audience, they're guilty of trying to plan out the next year. And James is pointing out, in reality, you don't even know what the next day is going to hold for you. In fact, folks, we don't even know what the next hour is going to hold. You know, on the one hand, man's knowledge seems so impressive, doesn't it? We can split atoms... We can build skyscrapers, we can transplant organs, we can program computers, we can send men into space. Man does all of these amazing accomplishments and yet we still don't even know what tomorrow brings. I was reading recently Dr. James Dobson of Focus on the Family. Of course, he's retired uh, from leading that ministry now, still involved with it. But he was talking about a a pickup basketball game at First Church of the Nazarene in in Pasadena, California. And and there was a game of grown men playing, I guess kind of like our upcoming men's tournament. And there was Pete Maravich. You know, they used to call Pete Pistol Pete. A great NBA player. 
Pete had become a Christian and he's out there playing with these, this group of guys and, and James Dobson kind of stopped and was talking to Pistol Pete a minute and he said, Pete, how are you feeling now? And, and Pete Maravich said, Dr. Dobson, I'm feeling great. Dobson said within the next minute, I kid you not, Pete Maravich had collapsed and died on that basketball court. He was only 40 years of age and in the autopsy they they detected a problem, a rare problem with his heart that he had had his entire life that he knew nothing about. I'm feeling great. And then he dropped dead. We can recall the past but we can't see the future. And you know, according to Augustine, God was wise in his decision to veil the future from our eyes. He said, God will not suffer man to have the knowledge of things to come. For if he had knowledge of his prosperity, he would be careless. And understanding his adversity, he would be senseless. More recently, W.A. Criswell, who pastored First Baptist of Dallas, he observed there must have been a kindness and a goodness uh, of God in the Thus veiling the future from our eyes. For if a man knew what the morrow would bring, he would live in constant fear and foreboding. Dying, he would die a thousand deaths before dying just once. Fainting, he would faint a thousand times under a stroke that was yet to be delivered. God hides the future from our eyes that we might live in confidence and hope. You know, 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago now, futurists were trying to peer into the future what they thought everybody would be doing and what we would be enjoying. In 1967, before a Senate subcommittee, there was a group who testified to Congress that by the year 1985, that by the year 1985, they said that we would be working just 22 hours a week, 27 weeks a year, and we would be retiring by age 38. How's that gone for you? You know, life is this complex matrix, matrix of forces, events, people, contingencies, circumstances over which... You and I have little to no control whatsoever. Yes, there, there's a lot we do control. You know, you can decide if you're going to go out to a restaurant this afternoon after the service. If the preacher finishes in time, you're going to go out to a restaurant and, and you're going to buy family lunch together. You can decide where you're going to go as a family. You can decide this week what store you're going to go into and shop and, and what you're going to buy. If it's in your budget this year, you might decide, hey, this is the year our family's going to buy a brand new automobile. All sorts of things that you and I can decide. But folks, while we can control some of these decisions, you and I have got to admit there's a lot of things we can't control. There's a lot of things we can't do anything about. In fact, you can be right in the middle of doing something today or tomorrow and right in the middle of it something happens and you're not even able to finish what you were doing or what you were doing gets changed to something totally different and you had no control over it whatsoever. 
apart from the will of God, think think of the mystery that's involved in life. Life is a mystery to a big degree. And it's only as we know Christ as our Savior and follow Him as Lord, allowing Him to direct our steps, does God make some type of sense out of our lives. But you know, despite that, some people still want to live as though they're God. But you know what the benefit is for Christians? Christians have the benefit of knowing That the living God controls everything. And even when things happen in our lives that we may not like, we serve a sovereign God. Romans 8, 28 says, He's able to cause all things to work together for the good of those who know Him and love Him and are called according to His purpose. God is the one who weaves all of life and the circumstances of our life together. And even those circumstances that we might curse at times, God uses all of that together for your good and my good if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a blessed assurance that the Christian can live with? You know, I think of Proverbs chapter 3. Verses 5 and 6. In fact, you may even want to memorize this. If you've never memorized this before, it's a great memory passage. Those verses say, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Folks, that's how we're to be living our lives. Life is fragile. Um, go back to our text a minute. And you, we, we see how, uh, how, how life is so fragile. He says, what's your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Job said, man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, he comes forth and then withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. The psalmist in Psalm 102.11 said, My days are like a shadow that lengthens and I wither away like grass. Job said, now my days are swifter than a runner, they flee away. That's how quickly life goes by. It's a vapor. That's all. Life is brief. And you know what? The the brevity of life ought to cause every single one of us to take a better assessment of life and seek the Lord in everything that we do. Because we don't see into the future. We don't even hardly see into the present as far as the, the hours to follow in this very day. But we serve a God who sees into the future. And so because of the brevity of life, we need to seek the Lord. Over and over again, I hear people talk about how an accident or an illness caught them by surprise and and. and Fortunately, God brought them through that and they'll say, Pastor, but what happened to me there has taught me to look at life a whole lot differently now and to see the beauty in everything that God does in my life. James says life is a vapor. 
I've used this verse many times at funerals before. And I've even used the classical Greek image that was behind this word. In classical Greek literature, they would use this phrase to describe a flock of geese that would come overhead in that V formation. You hear them coming in the distance, that quacking. And and they catch your attention and you look up and here they come. They fly overhead. They're quacking, quacking. They go off into the distance and they're quacking. And then pretty soon they're gone. And that's how James is saying, that's how life is. You get up on a chilly morning, you go outside and you're breathing, you see your, your, your breath, your, the vapor, and, and a, just a little while later when it warms up a little bit, that vapor's not there anymore. In fact, every breath you take, even while it is there, it dissipates and goes away quickly. Folks, that's how life is. That's how human life is. Here it is. And there it goes. There's an old Arab fable that I love. It it showed up in some English writings in 1934. But it, it was known way before that. But it's about this... This guy in the Mediterranean world, this rich guy who had servants, slaves. And he sent one of his slaves down into the marketplace in Baghdad one day. And it wasn't long before this servant came back. And he was white as a sheet and he was trembling and there was sweat breaking out on his forehead. And the master said to him, said, What's wrong? What's happened? He, and the servant said, I went down into the marketplace in Baghdad as you told me to today. And while I was there, someone jostled me and I turned and looked and it was death. And she looked at me very strangely. And the servant said, quick, master, can I have one of your fastest horses to ride down to Samara? 75 miles away. And the master said, here, take this horse. He's my fastest one. Take him and flee away. And the servant did so. The master decided he was going to go down into the marketplace and see if he could find death. And he did. And he said, I want to know why you scared my servant today the way you did. And she said, I didn't mean to scare him. The look on my face was a look of shock and surprise to see him here in Baghdad because I have an appointment with him tonight down in Samara. We might say that we all, when we consider the brevity of life, we all have an appointment with death down in Samara in a sense, don't we? Thirdly, we must acknowledge the will of God. Look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Folks, we are to live life under the umbrella of the will of God. God ought to be first in all of our plans. 
He's not telling us to simply say this, go around saying if the Lord wills, but he's talking about the fact that that's the principle that ought to govern your life and my life and everything we do. And if we don't live by that principle, we're arrogant. We're full of pride. We're thinking we're the captain of our own ship. And we begin bragging about what we think we're going to be able to do. And this is sin. It's the sin of omission. By failing to seek God's will about a home to buy, you've sinned. By failing to seek God's will about a job change, you've sinned. By failing to seek God's choice for you as a career, you've sinned. By failing to seek God's will about a a choice about a spouse for you, Speaking to young people, of course, you've sinned. You know, a lot of people, even Christians, get in difficult situations. And what do they do? They just run. They make a change. A marriage gets hard, they run. A job gets hard, they run. A Sunday school class they're in may go through changes, they run. You know, in this consumer age that we're in, we're creating a lot of runners. Just run, do something else, go somewhere else, marry somebody else, move to a different city, change something in your life. There's this never-ending cycle of running. I think James would say to people, in fact, I know he would because he did in chapter 1. When things are tough in your life instead of just running, it's a trial God has you in. You see what he wants to do in that trial and you come out the other end stronger. Seek God's will. That's the point. Seek God's will. Be an example in that for your kids. When your kids get in difficult situations and they just want to flee. No, seek God's will in it. You don't know what you might be helping that child to develop in their, in their life. The perseverance, the character, hope. As they go through that and endure it. And God may do something wonderful in their life because of that. James points out here in verse 16, 17, we are responsible for the paths we take. We are responsible. And we're not to be arrogant. Again, he says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Billy Graham said, the greatest sin in the life of the Christian and non-Christian is not the sin of commission, it's the sin of omission. A Sunday school teacher asked her class of little boys and girls, does anybody know what sins of omission are? One little boy spoke up and said, I do. The teacher said, very well, Johnny, tell us what sins of uh, omission. He said, sins of omission are those sins that we were supposed to do, but we just hadn't got around to them yet. The greatest sin a person can commit is omitting God, ignoring Him, and not seeking His will. Have you been guilty? Are you guilty? What about as you think about 2022? 
Maybe in your mind, you're already thinking. You've already been planning your life away for yourself and your family. God's not even been in that plan, maybe. But you've just been planning away. It's pride. It's arrogance. It's sin. As Christians, we know better. Our prayer ought to be like the words of that great hymn. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Would you bow with me, please? The words of that hymn, I want to ask you that 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 would be your prayer today. Not tomorrow, today. You know, there may be somebody here this morning, you need to come to Christ today. God's been working on your heart. You know it. God's been convicting you. You know, Paul said to the Corinthians, Behold, today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Come to Christ now. You don't know that you have tomorrow. Are there some decisions you're making right now that you need to back up and you need to turn those over to God? Folks, we don't have to be afraid of turning all of our plans over to God because He knows what's best for you. We don't have to be ashamed to throw it in reverse and back up and say, God, I messed up in that decision. What do you desire? Consider everything that you're about in your life. Consider your brevity. Consider the fact that you have no idea what tomorrow holds. Yield all of your plans to Christ today. Are you in a difficult job? Any kind of difficulty in your life. And in your mind, you think, man, the thing I need to do is I just need to run to something else. God may want you to stay in that job. He's got some things to teach you. Live your life in 2022. So you can get to the end of this year. And again, like Jesus was able to say, Father, what you wanted me to do, I've done. Do the will of God. Father, help each one of us to live life this way. You're omnipotent and omniscient. We are not. And so, God, I pray that we would not live in pride and arrogance. I pray that we would lay everything about our life out before you and truly seek your will. And if it's something difficult you want us to do, then, God, we simply need to ask you for the strength and wisdom to bear up under the load to do it. And you'll help us. Lord, forgive us for all of those times in our lives that we've just rushed off and done something. 
And we look back now and we might think, what a mistake that was. Lord, help us to live wisely this year by living according to your will. That we'll be able to live without any regrets whatsoever. For it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Would you stand please?